Welcome, fellow traveller, to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination. It is a pleasure to see Sean and Chris back in the tent again. It has been a long time, friends. I've seen you on some Patreon calls. And this is a little plug that if you become a patron of Tent, you too could meet Chris and Sean on our monthly patron meetups. But uh, how are you doing, guys? I'm doing fine. I, I'm, I'm in the middle of my summer and I, you know, it's kind of nice to work on other projects at the moment. So I teach during the school year. Are you having American heat waves as I've been reading about in the newspaper? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember what British summers are like, but I'm just tired of humidity. So oh, there's there's all in the news. It's that America keeps breaking its its record, its heat waves every day. It breaks a new record. So somewhere in America, yeah, we're we're being asked to set our thermostats in Houston to numbers that have become memes now. It's becoming a running joke with everybody that I know. That's how it, like the, the people that are you know governing our our energy system literally are asking us to put numbers on our thermostats that just are, are counterintuitive to the whole reason we have air conditioning. Are, are you saying you disagree with the, uh, the, the the numbers that you're being asked to <laughs> I didn't put say up? that. I just said that I know lots of people that not just disagree, but do so with colorful words. And uh, you know. uh, keen-eared listeners will have heard a word there that yes. Chris just put in. That's his sneaky word of the day. Do you guys remember Pee Wee Herman and the word of the exactly. day? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, grew up yes. on that. Yeah. So uh, disagree is our word of the day. And now uh, balloons are coming down from the ceiling and uh, cherry is blowing the horn and everybody's getting excited because we've just said the word of the day, which is disagree. Guys, we are launching a, a new series on disagreement. The three of us have gone away and we've we've found people that we either actually disagree with or we've found guests that 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 are going to help us about disagreement and, and how to navigate through that. So uh, this is what's going to happen for the next few weeks on the tent. And here is just a little kickoff conversation, guys. We're going to touch base. We're going to gather together and we might even disagree with each other in the next few minutes. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> I think I'm going to start just by throwing it out there. It's like, what do you guys think the value of disagreement is? For, for me, I'll just jump in because it makes me think of growth. It makes me think of when when I have been challenged in my life, and I've told some of these stories before, um, I think of the gentleman I met in Canada around the death penalty conversation, my friend Jim Sanders, who introduced me to the book, The New Jim Crow uh, by Michelle Alexander, even you, uh, Stephen, way back, we weren't, it wasn't direct, directly disagreeing with, but the challenging of what nationalism means. Um, those opportunities, because the inherent reaction that I had to most of those was to disagree with it. White privilege was another thing around my you know last couple of years. So instead of looking at it for some sort of thing, well, this person over there needs to recognize the power of disagreement so that they can learn. I can tell you from my personal experience that I don't, I wouldn't want to be in, as difficult as it has been, which is the undercurrent of disagreement. I can't think of a better place to be on a personal level, but that would not have been possible unless I challenged myself. Like, why do I agree with this? And why do I agree with, what is this thing? 
Stephen's telling me, he's giving me this idea that this deification of George Washington and the in the rotunda of the of the you know in D.C. and all the rest of this stuff. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, am, am I? Did I do that? Am I really part of that? You know, the making a god of and all the rest of this stuff kind of thing. Anyway, so it's things of that nature that that I think it's I think it's crucial for growth. Right. Unless you come up against something you disagree with, you won't grow. No. Okay. No, you won't. You won't. Yeah, you won't. Right. The echoes just stay the same. Right. The, the chambers yeah. just continue to reverberate the same messaging over and over again. And now, ironically, ironically, finish. as you're talking, Sean, Chris is nodding in agreement. So we've just said we don't want echo chambers, and here's Chris. I'm going to about to throw over to the echo chamber. Chris, do you agree with this? What do you th- What do you think disagreement the value of well, it is? Well, yeah, I appreciate Sean your your personal answer because I have a similar answer, but it's like kind of from the other side of it, which is this. I think there are so many elements of our own lives that we're taught that disagreement is just bad. So yes, like there's right. there's funny yeah. jokes that like you know you don't mention politics and religion at family holidays because you just don't want to stir things up. And part of what I, I'm so intrigued by by this series and I'm so encouraged by is that it's not like we're trying to say, hey, let's come together and disagree. We're actually saying, how do we learn as people to disagree well? Because I don't know about you guys, but when you when you brought up the series part, there is one side of me that was really excited and the other part of me that wanted to go and hide in a corner and I was taught from an early, early age that disagreement means arguments. It means hatred. It means, I I guess I associate a lot of personal trauma with disagreement. So uh, I know a lot of people, they're great at confrontation. They're like, yeah, come on, let's hash this out. Let's, let's talk about this, whatever the thing is. No, that's not me. I want to curl up into a ball and die. Do you think Uh, it's valuable though? I mean, even if you don't like it, do you you think it has value? So so that's my, that, that was my head nod, which is. If I think from an earlier age, I mean, I actually love to debate. I love to talk about issues. I love to go deep, but I associate shame with it. So for me, this series is about me learning how to just talk with people and how to open up to people. Also, how to risk saying stupid things sometimes. Um, Because what what ends up, see, what I was taught is if you say something stupid, then someone's going to jump on you and then they're going to let they're going to belittle you and let you know. And part of my own process has both been learning how to like realize, oh, what I'm going to say might offend somebody. Maybe I shouldn't say that thing, but also, you know what? I have this question and it's an honest question. How do I just let it out there? And then they can tell me what they think. Um, And actually, you know what? This this whole series actually relates to your series, Stephen, on love. And I think that's one of the basis of this is, guess what? Disagreeing isn't actually valuable if we can't love each other. Yeah. Right? yeah it's it's funny i was sitting down i was actually uh uh i was sitting down outside uh just before jumping on this record and i was thinking what do i think about disagree and i think i can hear both of you i can i can totally hear what you're saying and i and i can understand it and and part of my heart does uh does nod in agreement i am nodding in agreement with you and i am also aware that in my life i like even in this podcast i have constructed it deliberately because I think the value of disagreement is is not that high. So you'll notice, I mean, we've been running for three years now, and there's very few guests that we would have on this show, you know, that have been there because it's been a debate. I have actively avoided debating. I've actively avoided uh, disagreement 
to record it and and it was a choice it was like no i i think there's too much of that in this world i i was kind of motivated by this idea of like fellow travelers i mean that's what we call our patrons right fellow travelers and that the idea that things good things happen when you pull together when you find like-minded people and you pull together and so i kind of was thinking i think academically i agree that disagreement is valuable but if i look at my life i don't i don't seek it out i don't value it and it was just this interesting realization i've had and i'm not even like gonna go on some sort of uh anti-disagreement diatribe here but i just it's a new thing for me to sit down and and have a conversation with somebody that i know i disagree with fundamentally and it and it and when we when we interview when we air the interview with this guy that i've done it'll be the first time in the whole tent podcast that I have deliberately aired a, a viewpoint that I actively disagree with. I think it's important to contextualize that though. Yeah. Because you can, like we, we immediately kind of go, I think to the extreme where we think of somebody that we disagree with is going to be a Republican Trumper who, you know, super evangelical and just fits all those things versus somebody like I think about somebody, Thomas J. Ward, who we're going to have in this series, who, who I, I don't, completely agree with right there's some some areas where i'm with him and then there and with all of and with the two of you even i'm with you on this point and then when you go it's a, it's a little bit of a veer this way and i'm just not quite with you but i'm there with you 90 95% of the way and so i think we tend to think of it which goes back to what chris said which i do think is a, is a hangover from our societies which is it disagreement has to be completely right so that you have authority and power this goes back to again what you talk about power and principalities and things of that nature that to dominate because I can't, I can't be the king if I'm not the one that's got. Yeah, all the right I answers. feel it, Sean. I feel it. I, even though I teach kenosis, I feel it when I'm in the room with with <laughs> ideas that I dislike. I it's so hard for me to just be open handed and just let them lie in the room. I I really want to dominate the room and I want to change but, everybody. Yeah, you're the scholar. You're the expert, and right. and and it's built in to be like, no, I have to own the conversation now, right? I mean, no, I'm it, not an expert. I'm an enneagram four. What is it? Tell me, tell me what that means. Cause I, Which, I kind of know what that means, but maybe I mean, everyone else. Enneagram is just the Zodiac for evangelicals. But anyway, here we go. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a personality type, but, it, but one of its core values is authenticity, right? So it's a personality type that's really driven by authenticity. And uh, a lot of people with this kind of driver find it very difficult to even be in rooms where there's things being spoken about that they don't agree with because they feel like even being in the room, it's like I'm voting my agreement, you know, and uh, so a lot of a lot of myself is not driven by being some academic. It's it's some emotional trauma that I haven't healed yet, to be honest. <laughs> Allowing people to exist in their own in their own place. Yeah, uh, it's, I, I totally understand. I can barely and it, stand it. It too, is sometimes. related <laughs> to that domination thing. It's like if I can't fight it, I'm going to fly from it. Like I either have to win or I have to get out. And either way, I'm not going to let these people in peace, you know. And uh, yeah, I, I I recognize that in myself. And it's and, and the interesting thing about Enneagram, by the way, that these aren't personality traits that are necessarily good. Like they're they're kind of there to show you your pitfalls, you know. And 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 so it's it's you know it's something I'm working on, which is probably why the podcast has been the way it has, is that I have avoided that. So then when I face it, Sean, I or Chris, I feel what you were saying. I feel shame. You know, I feel like disagreement means something's gone wrong. I've made a mistake. I've done a bad thing. Uh, I, I, if I can't make it right, I got to get out of here. You know, and, and I think that's the that might be the nature of 
the opportunity here for, for everyone that's listening is to understand why why is it that we act that way? Why does it have to be domineering? That's that's the real pushback. That's why I think from an internal perspective, how do we take someone we disagree with and, and not just give it the the flippant, well, I let them speak. And so, because I, that's my gesture of of compliance and <clears throat> to be nice. Minimum. Yeah, yeah. Right. When it really doesn't, it's 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 a facade. It's like saying in the South, we say, when somebody says, or when, especially when an, an older woman says, you know, bless your heart. They don't right. really mean that. It's passive aggressive. <laughs> right. They mean you're an idiot, but I'm going to be the nice person and adhere to this high moral standard and not, yeah. you know, just tear you up like I can. But tell us about your journey, Sean, because you, you didn't, it wasn't, I mean, you had this podcast called Come to the Table. Is that still something that listeners could go to if we, if we directed them to it? Or you could, just... but it's from way it's from way back, and so I feel like it's that, you know, I cringe going back and listening to it. Oh, really? I do but it's you know, it's, it's like the first iteration, your first academic papers you wrote as a master's or undergrad student. You're just like, oh, you know. <laughs> but the journey that. though was interesting because you were you were setting a table on on purpose to listen to understand, not just to listen to let people have a say and then railroad over them with your views, right? A hundred percent, and that's where. For me, I can, that's why I think it's the hardest thing to do. Mm. But I would argue to you that it's—I would argue with you that yes, that it's the, it's the most critical thing to do because it's going to make you really go, "Why does this person support this political party? Why is this person of this religion? Why did this person decide to forgive the woman who drove the car into their uh, sister, brother-in-law, into and niece and nephew's car, killing them, and they were drunk, and he became friends with their family? Like what? Instead of dismissing it. Or, and, he, and even worshiping it back to like idolatry, even to say, oh, well, that's just so amazing. I can't be that way. No, no, this person isn't special. What is it about them that drives them that way? And really in earnest, shutting your mouth and listening to them. Do you guys have a line? What's your line that you that you say, okay, uh, there's disagreement. And then there's a line that I that if you cross this, your opinion is no longer valuable to me or your voice is not one I'm going to hear anymore or your friendship. Is, I mean, do you have a line? Yeah, I, I do. I think I think for me right now, especially in my world, it's the ones that well, we, we would say stuff like um, I had a recent friend of mine who said to another very good friend of mine, and I've had similar conversations with him, but not quite to this extent. But he said to him that he he thought that we should we needed to defund the FBI and the CIA, like just get rid of them and, get, and take them off the map kind of thing. Uh, same person, by the way, got got upset about Black Lives Matter and their desire to defund the police, but feels completely obligated to believe in this idea of, of doing that. And it, and I haven't broached the subject with him and I wouldn't, because I just think there's an extreme nature to that. If it, it just the, the concept itself is hard. I mean, I don't even know what it would look like to unpack that. Right. Like it'd be like, take, let's get rid of some, some sort of core fundamental element and like, let's get rid of the air and the, and, you know, or oxygen is something we have to breathe or something of that nature. And it just, I don't know what fruit could even come from. I don't even know where the disagreement could even begin to have an impact on him versus, and it would just, and the problem is then it starts bringing this emotion because it's, that's really what's driving versus an intellectual curiosity. It's more than an emotional hanging on that it represents this other thing, this other idea that he really is in love with, which is that we're the greatest country in the world and everything we do is right. And everything he's ever believed, like his entire identity is wrapped up in something else. And this just happens to be a, a misconstrued vehicle for that in terms of importance. That, that's where I start to go. I'm not going to broach that subject. I mean, is it almost like I, I, I hesitate to say this. I'm going to be like Chris, who said he's worried about saying the wrong thing. But sometimes I'm around people like that. And I feel like it's almost a mental 
illness or a mental breakdown. I'm like, actually, I'm not talking right now with somebody who we're going to meet and have a disagreement where we can learn from each other. I'm, I'm actually talking to somebody who's caught up in a psychosis right now, a kind of a cultural dead end or, or cul-de-sac. And I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think that's a great point. The problem with that, even that thought as Americans, like, and so like one of the big things that I've just been trying to understand is race in America. So, so the problem with what you just said, Stephen, is we've been part of a 400 year psychosis. Yes. yes. <laughs> so like, it's like a mass, a mass psycho. So, so I know what you mean. I agree with you. And then right. it's so kind of like, never oh. talked to anybody. If you followed. They my talk, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's okay. like, <laughs> What about you, Chris? Do you have a line? I'm just I'm just shouting ideas out. out. If I made a mistake, I, I might have made. That's so interesting. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's it's tough because we were all raised certain ways, and so like I have certain. I, maybe I'll say this. You know, like growing up, you're you're taught certain things about sexual morality or even you know drugs and alcohol, and then you grow up and you and you kind of look around and you and you see yourself. Like I look inside and I go, I'm a hypocrite too. And I would also say this: we also shift at different times in our lives. So you know, like if somebody starts to say something to me again to go back to, to issues of racism, is like, well, you know, shouldn't the slaves really kind of be thankful that we brought them here because we civil? I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. you were gonna say civilize them, didn't you? And we brought them the true religion. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, shut up. Just shut up. Like I, I so like, I do have that knee-jerk reaction to those types of things. So it is interesting, you know, and, and that's my that's where I'm at today, right? Other issues I'm I'm not as I'm not as hard line about. You know? I don't think I think anybody who has a, a worldview I don't like is it mentally ill. I, I was thinking more like the sort of conspiracy theory sort of end of yep. things where where there is a closed system um and there isn't a there is a sort of a, a broken information ecosystem where the, the information coming in and talked about is not, is, there's no light being shone on from anywhere. There's no openness or willingness to even sort of engage with, with that. I, I think that's what I'm talking about. And it's hard to define. And, and, and maybe I make the wrong judgment, value judgment. I just listened to an interview about this and the, the one of the interviewers, he, he, he defined it as like, it's kind of like a drug addiction and it kind of right. fuels them and they, they're under a kind of psychosis. Maybe that's, I, maybe I, that's a better way of talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think to extend that, uh, Stephen, is, to, is there's an identity that comes with that. Right. There's something that there's a there's a significant personal attachment where they. This goes into something I heard a, a lady from the CIA was talking on this uh, documentary I was watching, and she said something very poignant that I never forgotten. And that is, it didn't matter who they ever interviewed in any capacity in any part of the world, anywhere, anytime. She said every single one of them saw themselves as the good guy. Every yes, time, right? right. did not matter. Yeah, right. right. And, and that made That's me think back to point. Star Wars yeah. and stuff like that. Like, like they're they're not they people people like QAnon, the big like you're just like, how can you believe that? And I always tell people like, hold on, hold on a minute. It's the same narrative we love to talk about. We're saving children. They're saving yeah, children. Yeah, yeah. They are fighting right? against evil. Yeah. Right. L the LGBTQ stuff happening in Florida with DeSantis and stuff here in Texas. You talk to those people that are pushing that, and they're protecting children. They're not oppressing another group. They're protecting another, an even more important group. That's how they see it. it. That's just the byproduct of it. And that brings that. So if you try to change my identity and say that you're not the hero, especially in my world, right? Or that you could, or you were rooting for the wrong team the whole, the whole way, the bad guys. Hey, we, what do you mean? I thought, I thought we were Luke Skywalker and the rebels and we all the time were Darth Vader and the Empire. And that might be a realization that, I mean, I, I think all three of us in our different ways have realized that we're Darth Vader and not Luke Skywalker. Oh, 
but it wasn't awesome. probably because somebody sat us down and pointed at us and jabbed right. their finger at us and told us we were Darth Vader, right? Nope. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Now there, there's a firmness. Now I'll go back to like what I said about you, like listening. And I, and I did mess that up earlier, by the way. Brian Zondi said that about the Rotunda. You were the one talking about on the Nomad podcast about you can say what you want. You can do what you want. You can give me all the justification you want, but you have to put Jesus in the no column. And I read that was a poignant moment where you were just stating that almost as a fact. And that gets real, real wishy-washy with our world because we're like, well, facts and science. I'm talking about that. The, the understanding that I had of the New Testament and the words in red and Jesus' style and the following the way, I could not argue that with you at that moment. At that moment. Like he's right. Like I don't. Yes, I understand why you'd want to protect your family, but you got to put Jesus in the no column. So it was, it was like a, it was a subtle, nice way of saying, "Yeah, I'm just I'm just presenting you with the story. I didn't make this up. I'm just telling what the story says." That's what helped push me as far as that goes. And, and also, I mean, from that point of view, I'm off, I'm also quite keen to point to people like there's lots of really good reasons to kill your enemies, <laughs> like really good reasons. And if you want to kill your enemy, I'm not saying you're you're evil or a moron or anything. There's really good reasons. It's just Jesus isn't one of them, you know? Right. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can't also kill your enemies, but you could kill your enemies. Just don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Right. And that's the kind of, I tried to shift that ultimatum. I'm not trying to convince people to not kill their enemies. I just don't want them to do it in the name of Jesus. But yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't trying to attack the whole re reason for defending your family. I wasn't trying to do that at all. Yeah. Hmm. You you're recognizing the you're validating their point. Like I understand why you want to protect children. I understand why you feel that the election process in the United States should be should be valid and and have integrity. I understand why you feel like your voice should be represented. I understand that you pay taxes. I understand that you have been discriminated against, even though you're white. I do not dismiss those things because of the significance of the other thing on the other side. Is somehow again back to this like has to count. It's a dualism thing. It's like it has to be well. Yeah, that that's a good point, Sean. That, that we often live in the like Chris was saying, the zero sum game. It's like, well, if we disagree, then it has to be one side is all right and the other side is all wrong. And we have to like, no, like there's it is totally possible to hold lots of things up in the air that don't they might not all align, but that doesn't mean they're all wrong. Maybe one thing that I would say that you said earlier, Stephen, that really resonated, and it was actually something that I wanted to say. We're not trying in this series on disagree. We're not putting up another debate series. No, right? Because no, no, those no. those are everywhere. Yeah. And instead, something that struck me today is this this here's this simple idea that I would that I'm hoping to get out there is any conversation, I approach it as a learner. You know, it's just right. as simple as that. Uh and, and in my conversation uh with the, the the interview that I did is we talked about this is if you approach this from the understanding that I don't know everything about this, I just want to learn from you. And then if they have that mutuality. Now, again, like in America, that's hard to come by right now, uh, depending on who you want to talk to. But that's I guess that's my approach. And it's not it's not a both about, you know, it's not a what about ism or a both sides ism. It's more of just, a, you know what? I don't know everything. Can you teach me something? Let's talk. I, I care for you. We care for each other. I'm hoping that idea just gets out there a little bit. Yeah, it's not what about ism. It's because that that shuts down. That's that's an utter lack of humility. But it's. We're trying to do a we're trying to approach these conversations with a humility of I don't have an answer to you. I'm not trying to convince you. I just want to hear you speak because you're a human being. And you know, and 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 I think of all of our all of our conversations are with people with of good faith. Like they're they're not approaching it. They're not trolls. They're not deliberately trying to destroy, you know, to just cause havoc and then run away. Right. Maybe that's a line. 
That's a good line. I didn't just think about that. It's like when you realize you're dealing with your troll, you're like, why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's another element that I want to throw in there that I see as the bane of, especially in, the, in our world. And I do not believe it's any different in the UK or pretty much anywhere. And that is in the United States, we tend to believe that if, if we are on one side of the political fence and the other side does something despicable, that somehow we have won. The Republicans are showing their worth because of the terrible, has how terrible the Democrats are and vice versa, or the Tories and the whoever, you know, pick your pick your Labor Party, whatever. But what we're, and I tell people this all the time, I'm like, wait a minute, I go, these are two wings of the same bird. The rest of the world doesn't care. And even internally, if somebody commits fraud or election fraud, financial fraud, abuse, nepotism, whatever else, abuses their power, and just because they do it under a different political mindset doesn't mean <clears throat> it's any less effective on us and our and what we're doing and how it impacts us negatively. But to act like we've won because we didn't lose. No, we're all losing. We're, we're all losing. Yeah. And if you go back to like the way the whole world's losing, it, this stuff in Ukraine, somebody's starving to death on a street in India. We, we don't win because it's not within our borders. Yeah, it happens. Well, this is really good, guys. We're gonna uh, we're gonna come to a close here, and it's been really nice to to chat with you and see you. And then we're going to move into uh, uh, some other conversations. We're going to move into the rest of the series. We've got we've got a conversation with with someone who's a mediator who talks about nonviolent communication and and how to resolve conflicts without resorting to violence or litigious means. We're going to talk to uh, Republicans. We're, <laughs> we're going to talk to Trump people. We're going to talk to uh, people who t who deal with race and racial activism. We're going to deal with theologians and, and people who talk on different sides of the aisle. It's going to be a really good series. So thank you guys for participating. And uh, I look forward to disagreeing with you in the future. As part of our exploration of disagreement and disagreeing, I wanted to bring in an expert on mediation and nonviolent communication. So I reached out to Simon Croft, who is a friend and colleague that I work with from time to time. I thought that it would be a good idea to also bring in some of the patrons. As you might know, Tent Talks is a patron-supported project, and every month we have a special meetup for people who donate to the podcast and help keep it going. We usually just have a meetup and it's friendly and sometimes we invite a special guest. But this time I thought, well, what if I invited Simon Croft to the meetup and we interviewed Simon and then opened the floor for any fellow travelers who wanted to ask their questions and have a further discussion. So what you're about to hear is half an hour of an interview with Simon Croft, mediator, followed by another half hour or so of open discussion, questions and answers from fellow travelers. And of course, if you would like to be one of these people sitting in on one of these sessions in the future, you too could become a patron of the Tent Talks podcast. And it's easy to find out how by following the links in the episode description. But until then, I hope you enjoy this conversation as we continue to explore Disagree. Welcome to the tent, my guest today, Simon Croft. Simon is an, a, a practitioner in nonviolent communication, and he is a mediator who helps 
people solve their problems without resorting to legal or violent <laughs> means. And uh, we are starting this this week, we are starting our new series on disagreement, on disagreeing. And you've already heard uh, me and Sean and Chris talking about what we think about disagreeing. But to be perfectly honest, me and Sean and Chris, we're just amateurs. We're, we don't know what we're talking about. So I thought I need to get in some guy. I need to get in the big pacifist guns. I need to get in the guy who's going to solve and help us solve our disagreement issues uh, who, with some knowledge and wisdom. And to be honest, there's not they don't get a whole lot wiser than Simon Croft. Oh, so you're Simon, very kind, Stephen. Welcome to the welcome to the tent. Can you tell Thanks. us? Tell us a little bit quickly, like what is a mediator, uh, and then I, I'll get I'll ask you about how you got into it, and uh, and that. But first of all, just what is a mediator? Well, a mediator um, essentially comes in as an impartial presence um, between two opposing parties, I guess, parties A and parties B, who've either have completely fallen out of relationship or. Um, they're on the way, they're heading down, they're heading down the plug, plug hole. And a mediator would come in. And I guess the best way of describing a mediator, which is a great friend of mine called Stephen Ruttle, he he's coined this phrase of instead of being a mercenary, which is what litigation brings, he's uh, he 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 says mediation is like being a midwife. So you're sort of helping the parties stay totally in control of the process, but being a, being a, a mediator, you are standing in the middle ground, occupying the middle ground and drawing both the parties, facilitating both the parties, having a conversation with one another to try and resolve the thing they're in conflict about. And so, um, there is a process that is sort of upheld and there are principles that are upheld, one of them being confidentiality. And it's remarkable how a process like that can bring a confidence um, for both parties to be able to begin to kind of explore a kind of forward looking way through. So they kind of got to, got to, got to vent a bit by looking back but the process of mediation is designed to be very forward looking and the mediator draws them forward draws their eyes forward and tries to look for places of agreement so it's a really it's a, it's an incredibly i find it incredibly rewarding space to be in it's and um yeah it's it's it's, it's wonderful is it is that is agreement the goal or can you have a successful mediation even if there's still disagreement? That's a really good question because I think I think probably there's there's different kinds of mediation. So the sort of ultimate mediation in many ways would be anyone who is relation who 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 holds relationship um in a sort of precious close way. Transformative mediation would be where the relationship you move beyond the conflict, you find some sort of you find the ground where everyone can can move on but then the relationship gets restored so that's transformative mediation and then outside that you can effectively compromise so you can find a compromise which you may not be happy with but of course it means that 
both the parties get to a place where hopefully they can draw a line and they can then move on with the rest of their lives. Because, of course, in a lot of these cases, you know, the conflict or the relationship has been so damaged and it's so it's so painful and so stressful that they're at the point where they just want to get the other side. And so you can find an agreement. So for me, I was in, I had this years ago. So my, my journey effectively started 25 or so years ago, 24 years ago. And I, I was involved in a business situation where with my business partner, we couldn't, couldn't find a way through. Now what we went into, when we went into mediation, we came out with a sort of an agreement. It was an agreement and it helped us get the other side of it, but it, I wasn't massively happy with it at the time, <laughs> but I had to, you know, but it's part of that. It, it's, it's, it's beginning to say, I need to get the other side of this and I have and to let go. What would have happened if you'd, if you'd solved, or if you'd brought this problem with your business partner through the legal route, what would have happened if you'd done it that way? Do you think? Well, I would have spent an awful lot of money. <laughs> so I'd be very, I'd be much poorer um and i think i would have lost control over the conversation because at that point then lawyers effectively take over and they're advising you and trying to direct you because you suddenly become their client and you know totally get that and and there are plenty of agreements that can't be resolved through mediation so but sort of uh, winner takes all yeah that it could become sort of yeah because you're effectively defending you're defending your position so yeah yeah. Initiation, you're you pay someone to defend your position. Okay. And whereas in mediation, you're you're needing to step away from that into compromise. Wow. And you have to let go of your position to come out into the middle ground. Otherwise, you wow. will never get anywhere. And uh, do you see this happen? Do you see people like letting go of their firmly held positions and rights and Moving, yeah. moving away from the past and into the future. Do you see that happening? Yeah, I've totally seen that happen. I think that's the thing that mediators effectively live for. They live for that moment where the parties can find a place they can settle. And and I think that where, you know, for in my my case, going back to this case, um, when I with my great who is my great friend and my business partner, and we didn't have a a partnership agreement and so we had to kind of we suddenly hit upon you know ambiguity and assumptions and all the sorts of things and it was painful because we had to be vulnerable but we also had to say you know what what it was like each party and we had to bring things to the other part party and my the mediator who literally went from went from one room to another so we weren't even in the same room we were in different rooms it's called shuttle mediation what was amazing for me is that we got an agreement and then my business partner came in sort of two days later after the mediation. And he suddenly said, Simon, you know, the shares that we've, the share, the sharing that we've agreed is not the right. It's not the right. You need to have more. And, and that was amazing from his perspective. And, and so um, anyway, it took another three or four years of us having a little bit of a cooling off period, but he now is my, one of my best friends and 
you know that's so that 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 you know, wouldn't have happened if you that wouldn't have happened our, your lawyers to war with each other yeah you still be you wouldn't be best friends with him now yeah you? and that's always the possibility of course if you if you risk if you push in if you're vulnerable if you if you make the friendship perhaps if you make the relationship one of the more important parts maybe the most important but certainly more important you know you can anything can happen and those that that's a great success in my view that i have a friendship um and i could have lost it can you tell me a little bit more about nonviolent communication this is a, a phrase that gets used and and we were even using it amongst ourselves in the earlier bit when i was talking to sean and chris i think and uh how does what does the word nonviolent communication? How does that make you think and feel, Simon? That's a that's a good question. Here's a here's some of the here's some words that would be associated with nonviolent communication: empathy, patience, compassion, connection, honesty, courage, listening, vulnerability, responsibility, change, cooperation. In non in in nonviolent communication, you have you place feelings and needs, your feelings and needs. You put them out there, and the other person puts them out there. So, in some ways, you're taking responsibility for your where you're at, and you're putting it out there in such a way, and then making a request. So, typically, in nonviolent communication, it would be I've observed I observed this situation when you did this that made me feel this what i really need is this so could you do you think you can see a way of being able to do this or say this so it, it's a process it's effectively a process which strips it back to what's going on inside and thinking about what is it that's really who I really need in this and being willing to share that in such a way as the other person is, is able to hear you. So listening is obviously absolutely key and showing some restraint. So you can kind of hold on to, you want to kind of respond, but this changes the conversation. It kind of softens it. And I think practitioners of NV or nonviolent communication are, doing a lot of empathetic listening so they're identifying with you and trying to draw that lead the conversation in a very different way i guess uh, it seems i asked you about non-violent communication my first thought was well what does violent communication look like i mean <laughs> i mean what what is what is i mean can can communication be violent i this is a leading question because i think it can but i'm asking you how can communication be violent well i think we've all probably been in probably all been in situations where we've had conversations which uh or maybe they're not just conversations and maybe we feel attacked within a conversation and sudden and suddenly you know fight flight freeze all those things start we, you know we get so distressed that if you begin to fight you then start saying things that become very personal and you start pointing the finger and you, you'll hear the conversation become you did this and when you know th there's the sort of that going on and uh, that's that 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 can become uh verbally violent i think 
yeah, it can become more hurtful, can't it? And I think, you know, I'm sure all of us around this, uh, around the table can can identify with conversations a bit like that. I mean, one of the things I've noticed in in some of the conversations that are going to come up in this series that we're releasing is is the willingness for the participants, even if they disagree with each other, to not they're not trying to win. They're not trying yeah. to to decimate this other side. They're not trying to score points. Yeah, and that that's a form of violence, you know, like nobody's being physically injured. But it, it, that idea when you just want to be the final voice on the floor and you want to be the last idea standing like that that there's a violence there when you're just refusing to let other ideas just sit, you know, and be. Yeah. When I think of um, nonviolent communication, I also think of, you know, that thing about being curious about the other side is if our levels of curiosity and, and actually, you know, if we start asking more questions about that person or that situation, if we start, trying to explore it from the other side if we're curious you know if we have a deep sense of curiosity about the other then that kind of totally shifts it shifts the shifts the focus doesn't it and uh so i think you're right you know the violent one you just lose yourself in the emotion and and i think the other thing that's interesting is that often what happens in in well what happens all the time in conflicting heated conversation is that our voices change and there's this thing of where you've got you know a controlling you become either a controlling parent or you become a a, a controlled child so or you become or you meet of you know and so suddenly the other party just hears oh shoot i'm being i'm being controlled so they feel manipulated and then they fight back and what a mediator does interestingly where you if you get to that place where you need a third person the mediator brings the adult voice which is you know just changing it's not a child's voice it's not a controlling parent it's an adult voice you you strip the emotion out and i think that's really difficult for all of us when we're in we're all having conversations just batting them around with and emotions are stirred if you can pull yourself into that place of okay i got to just calm down and but we don't think very clearly when we're getting riled do we do you have any any top tips i didn't ask you this ahead of time so maybe it's an unfair question but do, i mean do you have any top tips for for me when i when i start to feel the heat rising and i the emotions are getting there and i'm res- resorting to controlling or child mode like what what kind of tips do you have for someone like me who's in a disagreement situation well I, funny enough the the other day um my wife she she we were talking about a conversation we were having with somebody and um it was a difficult it was a difficult conversation and and lucinda suddenly said you know i remembered because when we were talking about nonviolent communication and working things out she just remembered to breathe hmm. yeah right you know because um you know there's so much going on in our heads and chemicals being released into our body and i think that's a big thing so slowing slowing it down we often don't want to slow things down we want to ramp it up but i think there is something very profound about trying to slow it down trying to you know just trying to slow and bring the other party to slow it down and try and say can we you know can we slow this down and just take a moment and then you know, approach this a bit more sanely. I think it's really difficult in practice 
but she was amazing she said i remember to breathe and so i didn't jump in and she it was for from her perspective she was reflecting on just what a difference that made for her it was uncomfortable for the other party to be silent but it also i think it in some ways it allowed a platform of dignity to fall down to say look i'm just going to have my reaction i'm going to try and go through the upset but i'm going to not i'm not going to jump out i'm going to just charge into it yeah yeah so it's, i think that's even, a good top tip even breathing i've heard you know you breathe in for the count of four and you breathe out for the count of eight yeah breathe out for longer than you breathe in and it, it sort of calms you it stills you and it releases different sets of chemicals in your body yes yeah, totally yeah. yeah totally so i think breathing is i think breathing is is such a simple one but it's also i think really profound to remember that and i think the thing probably that is m most difficult for most of us is to is to begin to listen <laughs> you know is is one is is trying to listen without interrupting um letting someone finish their finish what they want to say uh, you know you'll remember this you know we we've, we've done this when when Stephen and I have done these uh things called thinking conversations we have this there's this wonderful wonderful book written by a lady called Nancy Klein called time to think and she's written another one called more time to think some of you may know this but you know she introduced these things called thinking sessions and at the end of what you've when you finish saying what you want to say you say well that's that's all I've got to say and then it, but the principle is that that often we are not allowed to finish what we're saying so we don't get to our deep thoughts because we are suddenly interrupted and we're distracted and we have to be answering another set of questions and so i think being able to engage in that way i think can have a really profound change in the conversation you mentioned nancy klein are there any other resources that you'd recommend listeners to if they were interested in pursuing this well i think um yeah i would say well Ro Ro rosenberg who is the author of nonviolent communication mm -hmm. i love a book called difficult conversations by stone Patton and heen and then there's a great book which is a book from a faith perspective written by a guy called ken sandy called peacemaker mm -hmm. and i think that's a that's a terrific terrific book yeah, it's interesting. We only talked about the word peace right at the end when that is yeah. what this is. This is a peacemaking. Yeah. You're creating yeah. the places for peace. You're bringing conflicting people together. You yourself are training yourself to be a person of peace just by breathing and letting the other yeah. person finish. And yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, the, I think all of us to be become peacemakers is it's a great calling, isn't it? Calling forward. I think of that. Um, I've been thinking, funny enough, just as I was coming to the the call, I was thinking about, you know, Jesus going off to search for the one, you know, leaving the ninety nine to go after the one. And I and I kind of thought, oh yeah, you know, that that in some way I could draw some similes about, you know, the curiosity, the sort of going after, going after the one, which is more difficult, going after the truth, going after, you know, peace. Um, and going after the peace that's in that person. It's just a question of spending time with them. And the other, the other, the other thing I, I was thinking about is 
I spend a lot of time thinking about how inefficient love is. You know, it's the most inefficient thing because loving takes time and we're in an age of productivity and efficiency improvements and in the world we're just always about how do we be more efficient but you know love is the most inefficient thing when we're you know it looks like we're wasting time and certainly i think when it comes to resolving conflict it does need time and it can look incredibly inefficient and it can be very disheartening in the process but if you give it the time there's real possibility for peace Oh, Simon, this is really lovely. Uh, where where can people go if they want to find out more about you and your work? Well, I've got different hats on, but I guess uh, if anyone's on LinkedIn, then Simon Croft Mediation, you'll find me. I have a I have other places where I am working. I work in different places, but that's probably the best one. Well, that's fantastic. But, oh, I should probably say, is there anything more you'd like to add? <laughs> no i just uh it's been it's been uh it's been fantastic just to be able to talk a bit about something i i've um been very inspired by others and uh it's good to talk about these sorts of things it's great what's the phrase that nancy klein says you have to use when you're done talking that is all i've got to say <laughs> let's let's keep talking for half an hour or so right does anybody have any questions that they want to ask simon I was really interested by the idea of, I guess, the violent communication. I, I find myself sometimes saying to people, oh, "I feel really slapped by like what you just said to me," and I think that's a, that's been a bit of a journey for me because I certainly would have thought that, that was a weakness in the past, and now it feels like I don't know. But I don't know. You thought it was that, a weakness to feel slapped? Yeah, because I think it's you know the kind of classically male, you know, you know, impervious thing. Um, but I, I often think, especially if it's somebody I, I like and trust, it's something in me that feels slapped rather than something in them that's doing the, mm. doing the slapping. And I wonder mm. if that's something that you kind of, you, you end up doing sort of a bit of therapy or a bit of, I don't know, that kind of deeper work inevitably in mediation, or if you, if you end up steering away from that because it's, it takes you to weird places. I think, well, there's, it often, you know, in conflict, you've got three, there are three conversations that are happening in a difficult conversation. The first one is there's a facts conversation. So it's just, you know, what happened? The second one is what does it make you feel? Because it suddenly your feelings are sort of engaged. But the third one, which is the most interesting one, is is the identity conversation. So, you know, what does the conflict say about you as a person? And you know, I can relate to that, you know, being coming from a, I guess, quite a high performance sort of family background. And, um, you know, if I get something wrong, I can really fear I've, you know, in my past, I've really like, I, it's like a failure. It's catastrophic. You know, it could be catastrophic thinking. And so suddenly my behavior is just like, you know, all over the place and I'll be, I'll say things that are, or I'll freeze or I'll just shut up, but it, fe it can feel like a slap when someone, I really get that. It feels, it can feel like, ah, oh, that really hurt me. But in the moment, I don't have quite enough sort of time to explore it. I think there is, I've been thinking a lot about the difference between mediation and reconciliation. You know, the journey of mediation is you've got to compromise, you've got to, you do have to compromise even in a reconciliation, but reconciliation sort of sounds like there's more time to 
look get more slightly up close and personal what you know what is it what is it about me what's going on inside of me you know if you have someone who's good at drawing that out i reckon that that can be quite a very profound but it feels like violent doesn't it, it feels feels the slap is here it's even really, when the the person critiquing you might not be in not be thinking they're not trying to provoke that response no. in you yeah that's no. a really interesting point that dave just rose you can feel attacked even if the person talking to you isn't trying to attack you yeah it's, it's unintentional isn't it yeah 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 in that case yeah yeah. You get better, Simon. Can you get? Can we get better? Can we? Can we train that lizard brain in us not to not to fight or freeze or fly? I think. I mean, I definitely think. I think we can. I definitely think we can. I think it's really hard. Yeah. And I feel like becoming a peacemaker is a lifetime. You know, it's a lifetime journey, isn't it? With so much brokenness in all of us that we have to kind of get through and wade through. But I think as we also, as we become more self-aware, it re, you know, I think that's the curiosity in some ways, being a bit curious about in my what what are my own triggers, and I, I I'm much more aware of what my own triggers are now as a 56 year old than I was when I was younger. And I, I'm you know looking around the around the around the room, I'm sure we all are. So there is, yeah, I do think we can learn. We can definitely learn how to listen better. We can definitely learn restraint, holding ourselves back. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We can definitely learn to breathe. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we can definitely learn to, to be prepared to waste the time that's needed to put a, put a relationship right. Yeah, we can choose not to be ruthlessly efficient. Does anybody else have any other thoughts or comments that came up how do you navigate it when the other party either doesn't actually want you know some kind of positive uh conclusion or yeah. they're not like in the space to actually engage mm. with it that's a really good question in in sort of in the mediation context if if one party just doesn't want to come to the table then the other party could get what's called often called conflict coaching, which is where the mediator is still trying to remain impartial because the impartial, the impartiality is vital. It's a vital part of the process is that you're not taking sides. So even if I was to go into conflict coaching, I'm not taking sides with them or the other party. I'm just trying to probe um a bit of around the conflict and but in this case it's 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 helping the other person think about how they can how they can move forward and what what, what else is within their gifting to do because often people think oh, i've got to the end and but then it takes someone who doesn't know them to suddenly start just look i'm just going to ask some questions and can we explore some things and you start you know, you just start thinking, well, then, you know, helping them to think, oh, I could do this, or I could maybe approach it this way. And, and what you're doing in that is you're, you're creating a space where some empathy might come in to the room. And when there's empathy, then you can build on that. To give you just one, just one quick example of that. I, I was doing this session not so long ago with a lady who had a major problem with her neighbor and this neighbor was behaving uh 
very um, irrash- sort of erratically and and on the face that looked like her ba- behavior was very up and down and very emotional, very strange. You know, I was just trying to explore with this lady and you know, is, there, is there other things we could do? And and then then and then they suddenly realized that actually they hadn't had a conversation. They, the person who was the housing manager who they'd had a conversation with, they we realized in the conversation that that, that person had left and they had they held a lot of the history of the of the conflict. And then she realized that she hadn't had a conversation with the new person. And so she had a real issue with the new person thinking, oh, they're not doing anything. And I said, well, you know, how long have they been in the job? And she suddenly realized, went, oh, gosh, yeah, actually, she hasn't been there long. And I said, do they, do they have the copy of the notes? And she went, oh, I, I don't really know. Have you seen a copy of the notes that were taken? Oh, actually, no, I have not seen a copy. Of that. So we, she suddenly started to realize, oh, well, maybe, maybe I've jumped the gun a bit. I'm open to seeing if i've you know it's like you don't know what's going to come out but i think that's where the curiosity comes you probe a little bit and it doesn't mean that it's it's actually could be incredibly hard it's still very hard because it means that the onus is on you and it, and it that's really hard where the noise can still be going or that situation can still be going on and, and it's deeply painful but you're beginning to throw the focus further more innovative possibilities. Natasha Beckles is in the room. I um, thank you so much for what you said. I'm very interested in what you have said um, because um, I did a lot of restorative approaches in my school and it's amazing to learn about restorative approaches with children in that space. And also in order for the children really to get it, the adults have to get it. And there's so much punitive in our mindset. It's very difficult for people to come to restorative approaches and then even enter into mediation in that way. But I find I'm thinking about Christian circles around. We have language that's about peace and about justice and being nice, you know, (laughs) Ned from The Simpsons, that Christian type approach and I really often find that we are not necessarily talking the same terms of peace because some people peace just seems to be quiet and everybody getting along um and for other people peace is that there is a justice that's there that holds that peace and and I think even as Christians have trying to be salt in the world and discuss that, if we don't have a clarity about what peace is about, then we are not very, you, you've either got people running away from what they call conflict. And that could just be someone saying, mm, I don't like X, Y or Z. And as you said, as somebody else said, you've got then people wanting to, be, their reaction to it is is the major part of why they're feeling uncomfortable in in particular ways and so their reaction is the conflict that you're dealing with rather than the actual topic that you're trying to discuss and and so I think because we don't have a clarity about what peace is and what conflict is sometimes people are looking for comfort and and it just hamstrings a lot of conversations in terms of moving forward. And I, I mean, because my understanding of conflict is that there are some unmet needs 
It's not wants, it's needs that are unmet. And so that that's why the energy is getting is getting a bit hairy with that. And if those needs continue to be unmet, to a certain extent, we can't actually access peace at all. Who's peace? So I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not offering a particular question, but I suppose I'm raising the point that we, part of our problem as Christians is that, uh, do we understand what peace is? Do, are we on the same page about it? Or are, are we, for, for us to get to, to be reconcilers, to be part of what God is, you know, doing in the world and calling us to do, if we don't get what that looks like, then we're, we're not able, sometimes we can be hindering that process. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that that whole thing about needs is so, it's just, I think it's amazing. We Because we don't often think about the language of needs. And I, I'm, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a piece of paper here. For example, you know, our need for connection or our need for honesty. I mean, I had those, I had those, those two. I was in, I was on this mediation the other day and had two parties one of them it was in a, it was a workplace context between two uh, an employee and, and a manager and it was so interesting because the employee was her the deepest need she didn't express it but the, her deepest need was connection actually went further was friendship she was looking for friendship because she'd come from a she'd come from this amazing job where she was had such a lot of friends at the workplace and then suddenly hit this this new team in this new place and she was friends with others but she'd never failed in a friendship you know going back to the identity thing i've never failed but she had she's got this deep need for connection and the manager he actually his need was honesty he wanted he wanted the he wanted this person to say, look, if, if you're finding it difficult, just come and be honest with me. Cause I, you know, I don't know what, where I'm offending. He genuinely is like, I'm, he wasn't necessarily emotionally that intelligent. Um, but what he was, what he was saying was I needed honesty. And it was so interesting once that began to be come forward, he began to see, ah, oh, so what you need is I get it. So they moved a coffee, which she worked part-time. They moved a coffee chatted for the team from a Monday when she wasn't in to a Friday, you know, it was one of the things they did because to, to bring that need and it, and, you know, little things like that, if you can address a need can genuinely, so I, I really, I think that's a, it's a really important point to raise. Where does justice, I mean, I really was thinking when Natasha was talking, like, where does justice come in, in mediation? Like, does it have a place? Well, I think people get into you know, they they you get into conflict when you so one party feels an injustice has been there's an injustice somewhere in it, isn't it? There's a perceived injustice, and of course they don't see it from the other. They're, they're not even thinking about it from the other person's perspective. So I think it probably is at the heart of it. Must be at the heart of of conflict is it, it, where perceived injustices have been made. You know, being bullied or something, and you think. Well, like, I've got to fight this one out. I've got to, you know, that's being driven, isn't it, by a sense of I've got to bring some justice, got to bring something to this place. What does everyone else think? I, I thought Natasha's thing about people seeking comfort is so interesting. Like, mm. but conflict, like peace is certainly not about nobody challenging me. It's certainly not about, like, even in like, really deep stuff, 
It's not about things I say about myself. I get to continue to believe are true, that kind of stuff. Um, and so often I think, even if you feel like you're seeking justice, you know, pro proper justice might actually be that you have to confront something that you don't really want to, that's sort of true about yourself. But then again, that kind of honesty connection thing or like honesty, compassion thing, I think, I mean, it's just a very human, it's very relational space. It's not like there are kind of like blacks and whites. It's kind of, there aren't, I mean, how often, how often do you do a mediation where it's like, well, that person's just being like totally unreasonable and, and they need to just accept. I mean, obviously you can't say that, but like, you know, clearly the justice is with this person. And, yeah, actually, I was going to ask Simon that. I was going to say, like, surely there are some times when an, uh, an injustice is not just a perceived injustice. Like, it really is one, right? There really is a wrong, like, you know, a young person being beat up by a policeman who's totally innocent, for example. Like, there is an, there is an injustice that's just happened, right? And, like, you can't really sort of get the two together and go, well, how do you see it? What is your truth? And share your, you know, there... So what happens in those situations where, where it's like it's vi like there's violence, there's like actual bodily harm has been done or or something like that? Does mediation have a place in those kind of situations? I don't think you, the thing is mediation has to have two parties that want to go after it. It doesn't work if you don't, you know, if you okay. don't want to. Okay. You have to have, you have to have that uh, the impetus to go in and find an alternative way it's why it's called alternative dispute resolution but i think going going back to i mean my i could only go in from my experience of going back to this time with my friend and my business partner where i just felt there was an injustice it just felt hard it felt hard pill to swallow and i had to kind of but i also had to listen i had to accept and i had to agree that I hadn't thought about this, this, and this, however painful that was for my business partner. I'd been so focused on, you know, what I was doing to justify my share so of the business. So when it came to what actually I ended up agreeing to was lower than, you know, to find comfort, as you were saying earlier, or some kind of peace. Um, it was a hard piece and it felt very costly. But the thing that really which so I, I left thinking there was still an injustice in that situation. And I thought the only thing I can, the only thing I can do now is I've got to start the, the road of just forgiveness. And that was probably that. And that took, that took a few years, but that was the thing that at the end of the day, that just doing the spiritual, doing the work of daily saying i just let this go i've got to let this go and i know that this my situation is tiny compared to what others have had to i mean you get into all the other awful things that people have gone through but it's you know there's nowhere else to go is there except to say well if 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 i to go through i've got to follow jesus so following jesus means in this situation i've just got to keep forgiving so you're almost doing it for your benefit at that stage. Yeah, because exactly, because if I want to have eventually, even if I don't want to have a relationship with this person, I do want to be, I want to be free. And I can only be free if I keep going, keep going, keep going.
you know and i know that that's a hard that that's that's unbelievably hard for somebody who might have been physically abused or sexually abused or you know i know that that's hard work but it is jesus says follow me doesn't he in that so if, you, if you've got nowhere else to go <laughs> it is an alternative option to to some of the more violent because i think we kind of forget that the the violent punitive forms of of um of seeking conflict resolution themselves are really harmful to to, to the to both to both parties right they can be harmful yeah. to the person uh rachel you're you entered the chat and then mm. and then we got natasha <laughs> um where i think justice comes into mediation is it's so important for victims to be heard and seen to be able to tell their story fully and have like you said being able to finish both thought um and then i think it also brings in a lot of accountability because if you have people you know sitting across from each other and you have another person in the room then it's not like that person who did the violence um is getting off scot-free they're having to hear it they're having to be vulnerable and then there's likely an action that they're going to have to take to rectify the situation um and so i think it's more of a restorative justice approach where you get into the humanity of each one and then um it changes so often when people actually sit down and hear each other then there is real remorse or there is real action taken um and sometimes there's not. That's true. But like, I mean, if they're sitting down anyway, then there probably will be. I don't think punitive stuff really works. Like you said, it just can create more victims or bring in a cycle of violence and that kind of stuff. But when there's restoration and really hearing each other, then that shifts things. Isn't like true restoration, us being healed? Isn't that kind of like the end result of Jesus is restoring both the victim and the victimizer into our whole humanity. But it, it it seems offensive. Like, it almost seems to have to come from... Like, it seems offensive for me if a judge said to a victim and a victimizer, you guys go see Simon Croft for mediation. And that seems offensive to me. That seems like uh, not recognizing the seriousness of the, of the action. Like, oh, you just need to talk it out. Whereas if the victim said, I want us to mediate and i want to get simon croft to help us mediate like if it comes from below or comes from the victim that that has more power to it does that make sense hopefully the judge also like implement more than just you go talk about it hopefully like we're partnering to ensure there's accountability so you do pay you pay money if you know you cost this person money to a certain degree not in a vindictive way but in a like yeah it's no, not you're stake to... free. Yeah. Yeah. And you do community service or you do something. You, maybe you lose your job if it's in a job situation, or maybe there is some action taken that goes with what they did to that person. Natasha, what 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 were your thoughts? Yeah, it's we're not a blank sheet and we have there's so much baggage around how people talk and what is peaceful way of talking you know I I can remember being situations where 
very easy for somebody to say to a woman, oh, you're being hysterical and there's baggage with that or you're being highly emotional. So when we're having conflict, thinking about the di the different histories that are there that are then projected onto people so that and, and how that is so easily used to silence people, even in the mediation, um, I think is interesting. And I think we as church really need to do a lot of work around how we use um forgiveness because you know there we, we're on both sides of the pond we're going through situations in church where heinous things have gone on the kind of dynamic is oh you should forgive and that that's a really abusive way of you know what god has called us to i you know there are things that have been so hard to forgive and and all you can ask god is to take start you on that journey i can't forgive but help me lord to get to that particular pace that's all, all you're able to do and and it's it's good for us to have that that sometimes there are situations and have those experiences that there are situations that actually it's that heinous I can't sit here and say kumbaya I can't but not in my own strength and um, I also think there's something about that reminds me of Bonhoeffer you know th there is cheap grace there is cheap forgiveness in that you kind of like, it's like a weed that comes up and you cut it quickly. It's going to come back because you haven't really dealt with the depths of where it is. And so you can't rush, as, as the gentleman said, you can't rush that. But, but you've also got to help people not to just meditate on one particular aspect because it can be re-traumatizing for them as they do that and they can be caught in that space. So it's it, you want freedom and liberation in some way to be coming to people, but that's not gonna happen if you're being strong-armed into forgiveness or left in certain spaces in particular ways. And I think, you know, I'd love us as Christians to learn a little bit and be smarter ourselves to make our churches safer spaces for that. That's a good point. I mean, Simon, I, began, I mean, we're kind of coming to land here, but this is great because, so, I began our conversation, didn't I, by saying, can you have a successful mediation even if you don't come to agreement? And now I'm going to build on Natasha's point. I'm going to say, can you have a successful mediation if you don't come to forgiveness? If you don't, for you know, maybe you can't. Maybe you can't forgive somebody at that time. Maybe it's a process that's taking a longer time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the reconciliation, uh, which is where I think forgiveness it, it, forgiveness sort of is in the resides in the practice of reconciliation mediation you don't need to forgive anybody you you can just compromise and move on i think in corporate corporate spaces and workplace spaces often that's all that's needed to you know just get get beyond it, get moving, get the business back on track, get the team working better. But I think as followers of Jesus, you know, we're, I think he, he's calling, he calls us to reconciliation, which requires more work, more, more looking at our own hearts and trying to move into forgiveness spaces. But it's really important to not think that they're the same thing mediation and forgiveness you can't order somebody to forgive you can't you can't you can't make that the only goal no absolutely and i think that's the interesting thing because in my experience of being in the room of mediation myself on this on one of the 
as one of the parties was that for si- and for my friend you know we mediated but we reconciled later yeah right that came after but but i think that it could have stopped and i don't think we i don't think we as followers want to need to we need we need i think we need to push to the harder space but you have to do it together um or you go after well i'm going to try and get the forgiveness piece i want to just keep going on that because i want to be free one day i mean mediation is like a it might not it might not bring like you said it's it, it might be an inefficient way uh, uh it's not bringing an instant resolution or an instant lovey-dovey uh, sort of warm fuzzy feeling of, of fake forgiveness but it is setting you up for the possibility of yeah. peace and of reconciliation right like yeah. it's it's not saying unless we're reconciled unless we all say sign on the dotted line we're this is a failure it's saying no we're going to do this in a way that the possibility of reconciliation is going to be there the possibility of peace could be there the possibility of forgiveness but we're not going to force that on you right now in this process that's right and and if even if you're not in a place where you've got a third party i a mediator who's coming into the room you as an individual who is having a hard has to have a hard conversation or has got a difficult relationship you know you can lead a process you can be you could be the one to pursue the other person and seek peace and and employ all those same skills listening well with empathy you know being curious asking the questions breathing (laughs) Well, friends, I'm going to bring this to a close because we've we've taken Simon's time for an hour, which was just so kind of him. And uh, I'm so glad that you joined. And thank you so much for your reflections and your questions. It's really good to see you all. And uh, I've really enjoyed this hour to spend with you. I always enjoy seeing all of you. Great conversation. Really enjoyed everyone's thoughts and stuff. Brilliant. Love you to me, you all. Thank you for listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page or leaving a good review on your chosen podcast platform. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.